Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. How can hydrogen help deliver the things we need most? At Chevron, we're exploring ways to expand our hydrogen fuel capabilities to help make heavy-duty transportation lower carbon. And we're working with vehicle makers and commercial truck fleet operators to help scale the hydrogen fuel industry. Because it's only human to believe innovation can help deliver a brighter future. Learn more at chevron.com slash hydrogen. Welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through the first post-Labor Day podcast. Everyone's back, raring to go, and we've got lots to talk about. And we've got an amazing guest. It's Brett Marchand, who's the CEO of Plus Company. So, Brett, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm very good. Happy to be here, Steve. Calling in from Toronto, I believe. Is that right? I am born and raised Canadian, yes. Yes. So we'll get into that and uh, find out a bit more about Plus Company and the constituent parts in your plans. And what would the podcast be without Frank Washkirk, our co-presenter and um, editor extraordinaire? How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah. And uh, are you feeling good about the last four months of the year? Yeah, I am. I'm feeling really optimistic. I am, um, you know, it's good to see everybody in the office more often. And um, I'm feeling really optimistic about the folks we have in place and uh, going to get some good content and some good stories out there. Yeah, we've got, we're back in the office two or three days a week. We're in our studio, so we're recording this physically, which is great. And uh, we'll chat to Brett, then we'll talk about Dentsu restructuring and Wendy Clark, the CEO, is going to depart. PR Week's been looking back over 20 years of our outstanding student program, so that was interesting. Finn Partners, it's acquired yet another agency, and then an interesting goal in study on environmental justice. And the NFL is back, so we'll chat about that, and the usual glut of post-Labor Day people moves. But Brett, let's start with you. Talk us through Plus Company. Interesting. I don't know if you do you call yourselves a holding company or a network. I've even seen on your website the Unnetwork, which sounds interesting. So tell us how Plus Company came about, because it was toward the end of last year when that entity started being known as Plus Company. So uh, yeah, talk us through it. Yeah, it's almost exactly a year. Uh, so September 1st, we did a deal to bring together three groups. We didn't name it Plus Company until November, but those three groups were the Canadian holding company called Vision 7, which owns Cassette, Citizen Relations, our PR firm, and a media group and a few other things. We Are Social, which you probably know them. They're the yeah. global uh, social media agency in 14, now 15 countries, and a sort of smithering of US agencies, uh, very good ones, 11, uh, industrial and digital design firm called Fuse Project, and uh, a really cool agency called the Narrative Group, which is right now blowing up the internet with their Minions campaigns. We came together in September with some new uh, investors. So management uh, invested, also a big private equity firm from Europe called uh, CBC Capital Partners, plus a pension fund from Canada. And we still have Blue Focus, our old uh, owner, as one of the minority investors. So that's 
That's what makes up Plus Company. And yes, we call it the unnetwork because I, or I don't like the word Holdco. I, like, I prefer to call it Propelco, although it's a mouthful of words, as you yeah. just heard. Holdings, yeah, it's a static word, isn't it? So that's uh, interesting. Yeah, we can chat about that a bit more when we talk about Dentsu. Um, yeah, I guess in uh, PR Week land, we probably know you best for citizen relations and we are social and a little bit of the narrative group. And then uh, a, a campaign, our sister title, maybe more for the Vision 7 cassette and Mechanism, which you acquired this summer, which we'll chat about later as well. Um, yeah, tell us about the Blue Focus connection, because obviously we knew that company quite well it's still going in china and there was a plan in 2019 pre-covid wasn't there there was a story around about blue focus international being spun off into blue impact and uh but that never quite happened what was that a covid thing that it delayed it and then eventually it happened in a different form yes i mean we were that's right it was going to be spun out and it was going to be combined with a spac to be public in the u.s uh, and I agreed to be the CEO of that. Then COVID hit just as we were going to market with that. And we decided it's probably not a good idea to be a public company in the middle of a recession. Um, by the way, we I think we dodged a bullet because you've probably seen what's happened with SPACs over the last year and a half. Um, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> you know, frankly, we just said, you know, the best way to get through a pandemic and or whatever's going to happen because nobody knew at the time was to be private. We thought it would be a very good time to invest, very difficult to invest if you're public. Um, and so that's why we did the new deal. Uh, by the way, I mean, Blue Focus was re- were really good owners. We grew aggressively under them. They are One of the reasons they're still shareholders is because I do believe that China is critical over the long term. I mean, relations, as you know, right now are not very good and, um, and it causes all kinds of problems, both in the US and in Canada where we put the Huawei CFO in jail. Um, but I think over the medium to long term, I mean, you just can't ignore the prosperity and opportunity of China and Chinese consumers and Chinese brands. So I'm, we're, we're happy to have them still as, even though they're a minority shareholder, to have them as part of the investor group. Yeah, and Holly Zheng, we knew, ran Blue Focus International. She's still involved yep. with um, Plus Company. Is she on the board? Yeah, she's the vice chairman of the board, uh, chairman's is Brian Whipple, who's the ex-CEO of Accenture uh, Interactive. So, yeah, we've got a pretty powerful board, actually, and Holly's one of the key. Well, I was going to ask you about Brian because you're absolutely right. You know, that was a very eye-catching uh, to get him coming on board. He sort of grew Accenture Interactive into a $12 billion company. So when did Brian come on board and what's what's his sort of um, operational role and how, how is he adding value? Well, he's the chair of the board, uh, so he doesn't have an operations role. He started on June 1st, right after his, I think the day after his consultancy ended with um, Accenture. And, but we started talking as soon as we formed the company, frankly, he was on a, on our list. Listen, he's, he, as you said, he's built a $12 billion company. He did it with technology and some great creative resources, you know, things like Droga. Uh, And I think he's an amazing advisor to me, the CEO, but also the rest of the team. So even though he doesn't technically have an operations role, you know, I talk to him often. We get him involved in looking at acquisitions. We get his advice on moving forward from, you know, investments. I've had him meet some of our key hires. I mean, he's, he's, he's been already super valuable. 
people have the chance to interact with him and get the benefit of his, his experience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's having lunch sort of one-on-one -on -one with almost all of my executive team. Um, meeting Melanie Dunn next week, you know, she's flying to New York to see him. Uh, yeah, it's been really good. Great, great. And you operate under a single P&L, is that correct? No, we actually have four P&Ls. So one for PR, one for media, one for our integrated creative. We'll actually have two for integrated creative because we have a mechanism in the US and, 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 and one for the Canadian uh, integrated companies. Um, and, then, and then we have We Are Social. So it's actually four P&Ls. Okay. And what are your plans for expansion in the US? We've mentioned mechanism a couple of times, a great agency, an eye-catching, another eye-catching acquisition there. Do you have plans to make more acquisitions? How are you going to grow? It's a difficult market to break into, but um, obviously has a lot of potential. You've got great big brands experience in your past with iconic brands like P&G, Campbell Soup, Miller Coors. So talk us through what your plans are there. Yeah, I mean those four PLs basically align to the four businesses that we're in. So and we're interested in growing. So PR, and we already have Citizen and TNG in in the US, but and we will grow that either through investment or acquisition. Um, we're looking at both, frankly. Uh, second is what we call full funnel creative, which is really what mechanism is giving us. Um, and and there we will likely, again, make some investments and do acquisitions to help them sort of do other things than just, you know, social and, and creative. So like, like we have in Canada, we've got deep digital development routes, deep CRM routes, et cetera. So we'll do that in the U.S. A third is we're likely to scale We Are Social because it's relatively small compared to the rest of the world. Um, very successful in the US, but but could you scale? So again, we might do that by investing or by acquiring. We're open to both. And then last, uh, on the media side, it's probably the trickiest one because as you know, media is, you know, it's, it, it's expensive to be a real player. And we actually have a very important partner in the US, Horizon Media. We uh, we're, we've been partners with them for a long time. We have a business together in Canada, so we're probably less likely to to, to invest in the U.S. in media, but but maybe in Europe. Absolutely, get your point on media. But in terms of digital media, I think what you know what we're seeing at PR Week is every PR firm is buying loads of digital now. You know, it's not just um, creative and media firms that are buying, and you kind of have to be able to, to understand paid media to do earned media, don't you? Uh, or shared, right, whether you're, we are social. So how do you, the building blocks of each what each agency does, I guess, are a little bit more uh, gray across the board, no matter what sort of network holding company, propel company you are. So do you have an overarching strategy on that? Or is it more a case of, well, just have at it and, and whoever gets the gig is the best for the business? So how do you make sure that digital transformation is infused through everything you do? Yes, I, I totally agree. And um, we have some media planning and buying capabilities now in the US. We got that through mechanism and we have some of that and we are social. But making an investment in what we call performance and digital media is likely something we will do. Um, and I can't say much more than that. Ah, okay. Sounds like one to follow. Now, we saw you in Cannes. That was probably the first time you'd been there as, as Plus Company. First of all, what were your thoughts on Cannes, the first one back in person? And 
what vibe were you getting about the industry generally? You know, we're going through complex geopolitical times, economic uncertainty. Uh, are we going to in, go into a recession in some areas or are we actually just going to pile on through? Because some places you wouldn't know there's a recession on. So um, what, what vibes were you getting from Cannes and from just uh, being around at all the whole industry? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing what you thought. But I, I first of all, I was surprised how how much it felt like the old can. <laughs> like, yeah. like you could barely yeah. tell the world changed. Um, <laughs> it's a bit so, like that, yeah. Yeah, so that was really interesting. Um, I, th- I thought, in fact, you know, uh, some of the new sort of fangled, you know, some of the stuff we were seeing before the pandemic and, and the kind of companies that were showing up, you know, all these ad tech and MarTech companies nobody had ever heard of, you saw less of that. So it seemed like, you know, the real players uh, were back. And, I, it was great, by the way, just to to mingle with the industry again and see people, and it's something we were I was really missing at least personally. Um, I don't think the work was great, to be honest. Um, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of categories. I think it's probably there was lots of interesting work, by the way. But I just think, in the grand scheme of having been to to Can, I don't know, ten or twelve times, um, I would say it was the most disappointing on the work on, on the actual you know creative and work front. I guess it's, you know it's probably one of the unfortunate outcomes of the pandemic, you know, when people can't get together face-to-face and riff and collaborate, et cetera, I, I, I do think it leads to a lack of innovation. And I thought that was pretty demonstrative in, in Canada this year. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. That's obviously top of mind for every business at the moment. You know, what's what does the return to office look like, if indeed you do? I mean, do you have a, a diktat or do you, are you encouraging people or is it to depend what uh, area they're in or what discipline they're in? Well, listen, I don't think we figured it out. Um, and I think it's, it's difficult and confusing. And I think people who say they've figured it out uh, either are in a different hemisphere than us <laughs> and most businesses or have some kind of crystal ball. So we're experimenting in many different places. I think we, we have some principles. In fact, I, I wrote it to my executive team today around hybrid work and work from home and where we're going, which is we fundamentally trust our employees. Um, and actually what the pandemic proved is, is that people can be very productive in some cases, even more productive working from home or working abroad. And so if you believe that as a principle, you fundamentally have to believe that, well, there's, you know, it's going to be okay that not everyone's in the office and therefore dictating people back just doesn't make sense to me. I also believe, by the way, that there's value in collaboration and human connection and interaction, both on behalf of the work itself and clients, but also especially for our young people. Because, you know, if you're young and starting in the in the industry right now, being on a Zoom call all day is, is, is not exactly the way to build affiliation and an attachment to our industry or our agencies. So I think we are going to likely be in a position where there will be some agencies that will be 100% remote because it just makes sense for them. There will be some who are 100% back because they're single offices in cities and you know do a lot, you know fuse project in San Francisco that's industrial and digital design. So people are generally coming back to the office, and I think that makes sense. I think most will be hybrid, and I think we'll need to change our offices in order to reflect that. Right, so. Yeah, for sure. You know, they they can't look like they did before the pandemic or people won't come. Yeah, you got to make them 
spaces where people can be productive and not just sit there on the laptop doing Zoom calls and all the rest of it. So yeah, that's yeah. Uh, what we're all dealing with, and we'll uh, that'll that'll. Uh, Change a lot over the next year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, on the creativity at Cannes, to your point, how it, how it shapes up next year when people are back together interacting and, and uh, doing doing the good stuff. But uh, yeah, it was good to be with people again, for sure. All right, uh, Brett, well, we'll look forward to seeing uh, what plays out and any acquisitions and developments at Plus Company over the rest of the year. And we'll get your input to some of these news stories. Frank, interesting story at Dentsu. It was broken by campaign, our colleagues in the UK, actually, that Wendy Clark, the CEO of just two years, was to depart. And that came to be true. And But it's part of a, a wider restructuring, yeah? It's a very curious story. She's going to stay on. And of course, Wendy Clark, is a former top marketing executive at Coca-Cola uh, and other companies. She's going to stay on until December. But what is really interesting about this is that they are eliminating her old position and sort of streamlining what they're going to do, what Dentsu is going to do into a single operation with one management team that is going to run the agency group globally. Now, that differs from the way it is currently run, where it sort of is split in two between its Japan operations and its operations outside of Japan. So, Taking the job, the, the job of global CEO of Dentsu International, which is the non-Japan operations, and discontinuing it, it's a big move. We'll see how the restructuring works for them. And interested to see, as more comes out about this, why they uh, felt the need to reorganize and why they needed to shake up in the first place. Yeah, it was an interesting one, Brett, wasn't it? That's not very fair, is it? Giving a holding company CEO only two years to make their mark and then out they go. But uh, I'd love your perspective on the future of holding companies generally and any 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 observations on this particular one. And especially as obviously Dentsu's, you know, Japanese, it's based in Asia with a lot of global holdings. So they seem to be almost moving back to being run from Asia, you know, rather than having a, a, a North American lead. Yeah. Well, that, listen, I think what my perspective is that there, what's going on in the industry right now is you have sort of the traditional holding companies who had lots of P&Ls and lots of brands and, you know, and that's been a struggle for most of them. I mean, it was very successful for many years. I was a client of, of, of many of those holding companies, but Dentsu clearly was in that position, right? Whether they had 160 brands at one point, which they've now cut to like six or something. Yeah. And another 11 or 12 in media. Yeah. And that, in fact, they... That was a massive announcement at Cannes, actually, wasn't it? That they yep. were all coming under the Dentsu brand and they were losing, you know, the, some of their uh, well-known American brands. Yep. And that, you know, that makes them, look, it looks like they are trying to be more like the consulting companies and, and, and S4 to some degree, which is, you know, one brand or, or only a couple with only a couple cultures. And, it, you know, if you look at Accenture Interactive, as we, we talked about earlier with Brian or, or a bunch of the other players in that area, they're, they're moving to sort of one brand and trying to simplify dramatically. I, I happen to think that there's a middle ground, by the way, which is where we are, where you can respect the agency brands and cultures. But I do think you have to build a company that's collaborative and not, and not competitive because one of the fundamental issues with the holding companies is that they are competitive. I mean, they spend more time talking about and competing with each other. And I know that because I was in IPG. That's the way it was when, when I was there. Mm. So, you know, I'm not surprised to see them moving or not necessarily Dentsu because I, th I think it's unfortunate for Wendy. I'm a big fan of hers, by the way. I, I knew her when she was at um, 
Omnicom. She was sort of running the McDonald's business in her role at that point. Yeah, that's and, right. That's right. And McDonald's is a very big client of ours. So I've, I've, I've met her several times. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of hers. I think she's very, very bright, very good leader. But this feels like it's a, a move not about her, but a move about them moving in the direction of an Accenture. Yeah, Frank, she posted on LinkedIn, didn't she? Very upbeat and actually saying already, you know, look out for my next move. Although it'd be interesting to know when she can actually get another job because there may be some sort of period of what we call gardening leave in the UK, but a period with non-compete. But uh, it will be interesting to see where she lands next and whether that's on an agency side or the client side, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it could be either. It's almost tough to predict because there's bound to be a lot of opportunity out there. Yeah, for sure. All right. So listen, we've uh, opened up our outstanding student competition for the 2023 PR Week Awards. And we what we decided to do this year was to have a look back. We've been running it for 22 years, that competition. So we tried to track down as many of those outstanding students from the last two decades as we could and find out where they are now. So it was an interesting feature, wasn't it, Frank? Yeah, it was. And, and the thing I really liked about this is that and I hope uh, younger readers of ours take a look at it, too. We we found some of the former Student of the Year winners, and they are at a wide array of different types of jobs. Um, Darren Kwok is Senior Director of Pipeline and Product Communications at Regeneron. Uh, we have a VP of Corporate Comms at Nestle North America. We have people at different agencies at Jackson Spaulding at other firms. And we even have somebody who is the founder of something called the Well-Traveled Palette, which is very appealing. That's Natasha Ratliff-Ho, who is one of our former winners. And so I hope that younger people coming up through college take a look at this and realize that there's just a wide variety of possibilities open to them when they graduate. We have many times reached out to the winner of this, by the way, and and asked (laughs) to, to meet them. So uh, including Kathleen McManus. Yeah, you're not alone there, Brett. And a lot of them seem to go to Weber for sure. But it, it is interesting. Brett, what do you think of the quality of ta- two questions on this? You know, obviously, it's a talent business, isn't it? And you want to get the best people into your um, operations. But also, the industry needs to market itself, doesn't it, as a, as a location for the best talent, right? We talked about consultancies and, you know, lawyer, law and other um professions and and sometimes you wonder whether marketing and advertising and communications does actually market itself enough to get those brightest people into the industry what's your view on that i i I think it's the most critical crisis we're we're facing as an industry which is which is talent um and, and listen, uh, I started my career at P&G, you, you mentioned that, um, and that was considered a plum, plum job. And I remember at the time I, I interviewed at an agency, in fact, a PR agency at the same time, and I think the, I think the pay offer was half the P&G pay offer. Right. And I don't, you know, it's changed a little bit, but we were, you know, my, my daughter is graduating from her master's right now. She's, she's very interested in communications. She's looking and looked at several opportunities in London in that area, but she's also looking at consulting offers and they're, they pay double. So um, I think to attract the best talent, we're going to have to get wages up to do that. We get to get fees up and then we're going to be able to train and attract the, the brightest and the best and not keep losing them to the tech providers, frankly. 
Yeah, the brightest and the best and the most diverse uh, so that it reflects every parts of the communities uh, that the brands are, you know, engaging with as, as customers and consumers. So, yeah, I do think there's a little bit of uh, cobbler's children in not promoting the industry properly and, and having it up there uh, alongside those those professions. And, um, you know, I think we do need to do a better job of that. So, but anyway, check those stories out. They're kind of fun to uh, see where all the students ended up. And um, thankfully, quite a few of them ended up in really good roles in communications, so uh, proving that it does actually work. One thing that we've been talking about all summer, and in fact, for the last couple of years, loads of deals, loads of M&A, loads of acquisitions. And Finn Partners has been at the heart of it, Frank. They've acquired loads of shops, haven't they? And they've uh, just acquired another one. Yeah, the latest one is Rachel K. Public Relations. Uh, they're based in San Diego, which I have to say sounds really nice. And they have a specialty in food. Well, better than Brooklyn, Frank. Well, they also have a specialty in food, which makes it sound doubly nice. Oh, um, so interesting that they're what they're bolting on here is a specialty. Uh, you know where they're they're very very uh, good and focused at one part of the consumer uh, industry. And um, so what this means in terms of the bottom line is that uh, Finn Partners Global Consumer Practice is going to have annual fees of almost $25 million, and that will bump it up to one of the firm's largest practices alongside health, technology, and travel. Some of RKPR's clients include Simple Mills, which is a healthy food company, a plant-based food company called Notco, KOE Organic Kombucha. And uh, it will also expand the agency staff out to 165 people on the West Coast in offices in Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, uh, San Francisco, L.A., and Orange County. So uh, interesting acquisition there by Finn Partners. It is. Brett, when you're looking at acquisitions, you've got to get the right fit. I mean, it's very competitive, isn't it? Lots of agencies being approached by lots of people. How do you make sure you get the right people and people who are not just out to, you know, sell their, their agency for cash and walk away, or maybe in some cases that is what you want, but what are you looking for and how do you make sure that the chemistry is right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that is the biggest question um, on our minds. We typically start with a meeting with the management. I usually attend that. And one of the first things we do is we have a discussion about the future and, what we see as the future, what we see their role in our company. And that you usually know, <laughs> you know, after an hour, an hour and a half, you know, whether this is going to be, there's going to be some alignment here. It's hard to fake that. And then we do a deal actually where, where everyone puts their money where their mouth is. So um, it would be very difficult in the deals you do with us to just take your money and go, let's put it that way. If you believe in the in the future plus company and you want to join it, then we expect the people who join our company to make an investment in it um, and to be part of the team that's growing the company. So I think that makes it easier not not to have what you talked about because I've you know I've watched that happen many times. Yeah, and you bought mechanism and you bought an agency called Kobe. Um, have you got any other things on the horizon that you can tell us about? We have lots in the hopper. Um, but no, I've signed an MB NDA on all of them. So if I told you I would I'd be in trouble and in court. <laughs> it's just between friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the market is hot, isn't it? Do you expect that to continue given all the economic uncertainty around? 
Well, there's kind of two areas that are really hot right now. So PR and everything around PR is actually, you know, in social, et cetera. So earned is doing really well. Um, and I think that makes sense. I mean, our, our, our earned businesses, our three most successful agencies by far right now are the ones you mentioned earlier, which is Citizen, you know, We Are Social and TNG. They're all growing really quickly Good to right hear. now. Good to hear. And I, you know, I think a lot of that is because as people are worried about what's going to happen with the recession and inflation, et cetera, they're looking at earned um, and putting their dollars into earned. So I think that, and social, uh, and I think that's also driving the acquisition needs. Um, not, not to mention, I think that's when people want to sell, right? Like when you're doing well and things are going in the right direction, that's, that's when you yeah, want to sell. Yeah. Uh, the other area is performance and digital media, you know, uh, whether that be in paid social or, or, or paid digital or other areas that, you know, especially with e-commerce and what's happened with the pandemic, that's also a very hot area. I'm not, you know, also digital development's probably the third area and, you know, um, experience. So three of those are really hot. There's lots of stuff out there. Prices, you know, are still fairly high. Um, multiples are fairly high. I think it's actually pretty slow in the other sort of sectors in our industry. Got it. What do you think of TikTok uh, while we're on this subject? It's blown up as a platform, hasn't it? It's just where all the action seems to be. We did a piece about people, young younger consumers using it for search now. And so you've got search uh, strategies in TikTok. So it's an amazing platform, but it's got this elephant in the room with Chinese ownership and concerns about data harvesting and all the data basically going back to China. How do you look at it, both as a an agency owner who's buying loads of media on TikTok, presumably, and we're running loads of uh, campaigns there. Well, we're doing a lot of native work on TikTok. Uh, we're not buying that much media on it right now. And listen, I, you know, I, it's, a, it's a very powerful medium, let's, let's be honest. Uh, and we've had some campaigns. I talked and referred to the Minions campaign earlier yeah, that, yeah. that they did, um, and that just blew up on TikTok. So I think it's very powerful. And I, yeah, I think we, listen, they're, they're making a lot of money there, and they realize that if, if the privacy issues and or data you know, gets in the way and people find out about it, they're going to be in big, big trouble. So I suspect, and I've been reassured that they are being, you know, super careful about these things. Now it's easy to say that, and we also saw what happened at Facebook. So um, I think it, I think the onus is on us as agencies for sure to make sure that they are living up to their promises. Yeah, agreed, absolutely. Um, Frank Golin's interesting new study about C-suite leaders that they must pivot on environmental justice. Talk us through it. I think this is a really interesting study um, because of the way that it fits into the greater context of a bigger topic that's happening out there. Um, but it's Golin's Justice for All survey, and it ties together two ideas. And that number one is that black Americans and people from a minority background are 75% more likely than their white counterparts to live in areas near commercial facilities that produce noise, odor, odor traffic, emissions, things that directly affect their health. Um, and there's some cynicism among the public about how much companies are doing about this because – you see 90% of executives say it is important for corporations to address environmental injustice, but 49% don't believe that it will lead to tangible outcomes for minorities and low-income communities. So I, I think there's some questions about how much people believe they can actually do to help. This is um, 
I think this, these are important stats because this is happening amid this wide pushback uh, to ESG. The Wall Street Journal had a story this morning about an activist investor at Chevron, you know, essentially saying the company should forgo or slow down its transition to clean energy or to green energy uh, and essentially just just produce more oil. Uh, and I think you're seeing this pushback to ESG and this pushback to green energy uh, and other more progressive leanings by companies across the board, uh, especially in states that have Republican governors or Republican top officials. So this is a really interesting data set as ESG is in the spotlight and as it is getting more blowback than it has in past years. Yeah, and you've got cities, stories in recent weeks about cities like in Mississippi or Alabama where they have no clean water, where they've been relying on bottled water and now that's running out. And then it was obviously Flint, Michigan. So your point is well made and the, the study is uh, you know, very relevant in that respect. But Brett, we've we've seen the business roundtable in the US, you know, and all companies signing up to put purpose at the top of, you know, on a level footing with shareholder value. And it's been sort of the generally accepted wisdom in marketing and communication, certainly if you're at Cannes or in right or in reading any of our publications, it's the right thing to do. But also that it can be the uh, the best thing to do for the business, right? It's, it's, it can be uh, profitable too. But there is a bit more pushback, isn't there, over the last sort of nine months with, uh, you know, Republican gov- governors saying that state, some state funds can't be invested with institutions that are putting those ideas up front. Had, you must be seeing this across all of your client base and, and you must have to advise them in lots of different ways, whether it's reputation or just through the way you spend your marketing dollars. What's your take on it all? Yeah, I mean, this is a subject I'm very passionate about. Um, I talked about my daughter and what she, she, you know, she's doing her master's actually in environmental policy and development. Um, and listen, I think two things. One, as an industry, I think we have a role, um, not just in, in communicating this stuff, but let's, let's be honest. Like we push consumption for a living. And, you know, consumption is one of the major issues when it comes to climate change and, and sustainability right now. Um, and I think we as an industry need to start to do our part in order to help people have reasonable consumption behaviors for companies to do the right thing. Um, I, I think it's helpful, by the way, that there's been a reflection on purpose being important because I think I think it's the right thing for brands to do. And I think agencies are very passionate about this. But uh, but I I think we have a real role in the world to use our creativity and innovation and technology to actually make sure that this happens because we've had a role in in creating the problem in the first place and people who don't think we have I, I think are 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 mistaken on our side we've seen a lot of opportunity in this I mean we actually hired a, a woman named Dr Shilpa Tiwari uh, and then, interestingly enough. Uh, you know, along with the Golden Study, her role is actually global EVP of social impact and sustainability for exactly the reason that you just talked about the Golden Study just talked about, which is we do think that sustainability is having a disproportionate impact on low-income communities and minorities, not just in the U.S., but around the world. Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree with you. And um, But this is going to be in sharper focus as the midterms come up and then the general election in the US. And it's going to, it's a political football, let's face it, and activist shareholders have got a lot of power. So it's uh, something certainly where you need in-house 
strong in-house communications leaders and strong agency support as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll be coming back to this, no doubt. Frank, the NFL's back. I mean, we kind of discussed this last week, but just wanted to re-emphasize, I guess, Thursday. <laughs> Brett's happy. Um, but, uh, hey, did you do NFL in... Uh, sorry, I'm English. In Canada, is it is football a thing up there? They keep talking about the World Championship, Brett, down they here. Their, they have their own league. Yeah, right. we have the CFL, the Canadian Football League. But I lived in Philadelphia for five years, so I became a big Eagles fan, and I still am. Oh, not another one. Oh, dear. We've got a lot of those in this uh, building, actually. But, uh, but so you can't really call it the World Championship then, Frank, because the Canadians have their own league, So uh, and you're not beating the best Canadians. Well, team. it's... I, I, I would argue that um, they are the world. <laughs> the Super Bowl champion has been the world champion since the 1960s. And uh, you know, uh, no, no offense to our friends in Canada, yeah. but and, you know, there are different rules. So it is not quite the exact same game. The Canadian football field is longer. Oh, okay. Yeah. And all the signs are in French. <laughs> and we only have three downs. So it's much yes. different, more yes. difficult to score a touchdown. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it's going to be a fun season, and we've got we talked about the broadcast elements and Amazon Prime and all that good stuff. So it'll be interesting to see. So here's, was- here's one thing I'm looking out for is um, this is I, I believe the second season in which sports gambling is widespread legal uh, in the US, yeah. and I think anybody who watches sports regularly it is the ads are everywhere they've been incorporated into the pregame shows into the halftime shows it's it can be a bit overwhelming um interested to see how all of these companies change their strategy if they do if it's the same sort of brand awareness thing they were doing last year and just if it evolves from one year to the next so yeah, that's a good point, actually. When I go back to England, you're absolutely bombarded with gambling ads on TV. and uh, But there's no farmer ads because you're not allowed to have farmer ads. And then when I came to the US, what, what really struck me was no gambling, but absolutely bombarded with farmer ads. But so what you're saying is, you know, gambling is start, is going to start to catch up. So uh, you make a good point there. But yeah, it should be fun to get the season underway. And then just finally, quickly, on the move. Lots more people move post-Labor Day. It hasn't slowed down, has it? It's kept our journalists busy. really hasn't. Uh, seems the, the great resignation, or whatever you want to call it, is still happening. Stephanie Peterson has left Kraft Heinz, where she was the head of communications for North America. The chief communications officer, Kathy Krenger, told PR Week uh, that her responsibilities have been split between two people who are reporting to her. A uh, story just broken by our friends at Campaign today. Uh, Andy Main is leaving uh, Ogilvy as uh, Devika Bolkandani is taking over at the global CEO. Main, of course, joined the agency from Deloitte Digital in 2020 and was responsibility for a bit of a transformation at the network. Uh, Bolkandani is a longtime uh, McCann veteran. And there's a new chief communications officer at Dropbox. Uh, Saman Ashir uh, has been promoted up to the top communications role at the tech company. Interestingly, she reports to the chief legal officer, Bart Volkmer. So, um, so yeah, good what luck to her. What could go wrong? Role. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we won't get into that one here. But so, yeah, that was interesting at Ogilvy, wasn't it? I'm, I must admit, I didn't really get to know Andy Main and in his two years, but uh, I guess you could either say he reset, he came from the management consultancy world, reset it, and then moved on, or you could say he, uh, you know, 
maybe it wasn't to his taste, but, but uh, I mean, the time he joined, if you joined in mid 2020 or early 2020, you sure had your work cut out. For yeah. Anything, didn't you? So yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, interesting stuff. All right. Thank you, Frank. Always a pleasure. Brett, really great to chat and um, yeah, continued good fortune at Plus Company. Looking forward to seeing where you take it over the next uh, year. Thank you. I look forward to your next podcast. Yep, they're every week. There's, they keep coming. And uh, just a couple of notices before we head out. Best places to work. Last chance to get your entries in for that is uh, the 9th of September. PR Week Awards, the Oscars of the PR industry. The first deadline for entries is the 28th of September. And not that far away, just uh, three weeks. And the final deadline is the 14th of October. If you want to be uh, up there in March um, getting the biggest awards, you've got to get your entries in first. PR Decoded and the Purpose Awards will be in Chicago in person, first time in three years, from the 11th and uh, 11th and 12th of October. Really looking forward to that. It's going to be a great event and really good to see people in person again. 40 Under 40 event will be in New York City on the 27th of October. A really fun night. And get hold of our salary survey, premium edition. Loads of great data and analysis is in there. You're coming up to the end of the year, planning your budgets, your salaries, your talent approaches. You need to get hold of this survey if you're going to make informed decisions. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.